You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Amen. Tonight I'm going to be starting something that's called Loosening the Ties. And uh, these are ties that bind people. And when I mention ties, I'm not just talking about things way in your past. It could be, but it could also be something that just happened today. Maybe you had a bad experience today and a very disappointment hits you. If you're not careful, that experience will bind you. It'll restrict your faith from succeeding in your life. And I just, my heart as a pastor, I want everybody to be free. Free to dream. Free to be everything that God has called you to be. And so many people die with just a little bit of their potential in their life. And it's my goal in life to help you get to that potential out and really experience great things. So when I talk about loosening these ties, I'm talking about experiences that come from disappointments that have this satanic ability to restrict us in our new situation and restrict our faith from really soaring to the place that God has called you to be. Amen? So with that in mind, I want you to look with me over to John chapter 5, and let the Holy Spirit minister to you this tonight. It's going to be beautiful. Listen to what it says. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate a pool, which is called Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Now notice, notice, everyone that is sick, not just paralyzed people, but blind people, just all kinds of infirmities. And, it's, and, go, and then it goes to the next verse. For an angel went down a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said unto him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. I love this particular miracle Jesus did. But let me break it down to you a little bit because I want you to see the significance of this. If you know anything about Bible history, you'll understand that God stopped speaking to his people for about 400 years. It's called the silent years. Before John the Baptist, before Jesus, the word became flesh, and God began to speak his word again. But there were still miracles. And this was an incident of miracles, and it basically went this way, that uh, when the water was stirred in, in this pool... The first guy that got in, got healed. It didn't matter what disease he had. It didn't matter if he had leprosy. It didn't matter if he had limbs gone, whatever. He was healed. And so the second person didn't get it. Third person didn't get it. Fourth person didn't get it. Had to be that first 
person to get it. Now, this fellow that had been there 38 years, obviously, was believing when he got the verdict from the doctors that he was paralyzed and couldn't walk and couldn't be what he wanted to be. This was the only solution that he had was to get a supernatural miracle from God. And so he went there, and, and you got to understand some these five porches are a really big area. And so here's a guy that is homeless, obviously, and he sets up camp next to this pool or in the vicinity of the pool waiting to, to get his turn to get healed. But what is significant about the story is that Jesus gets there and sees all these people sick, and he goes over to this guy and knows he's been there for a long time, and he asks this question, why or do you want to be made well? Now, you got to ask yourself this question, why did he say that? Why did Jesus say that? I believe because the man looked like he didn't want to get healed. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about. This guy had many, many times, it says very clearly in Scripture, that he tried to get in, but someone got in before him, which means he was the second guy, but not the first guy, and he never got healed. So he had this experience of being disappointed over and over and over and over again, and something happened within those 38 years where... He got to a place where he wasn't expecting to receive, even though he was in the habit of being the place where it happened. And I believe personally that when Jesus went there and he saw him, he, he didn't look like he wanted to be made well. Maybe that's because maybe initially he camped out right next to the pool. But after being disappointed, 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 he decided, well, uh, you know, I can't get in first here anyway, so I'm just going to go back here. This is a better location anyway. And started setting up shop, whatever he did, for his home. And so he had kind of vegetated into that, that situation there. And so Jesus came, and he didn't look like someone that wanted to get well. I wonder if there's someone in the house tonight that doesn't look like you want to get delivered. Maybe tonight you don't look like you want to get healed. Maybe you don't look like you want to get the breakthrough in your life that you are so desirous of it because you've had this past experience of repeated disappointment in your life. Maybe you were close, but not close enough. Maybe you could taste it, but you couldn't quite get it in your mouth. And because of that, you've withdrawn from the state that you were originally in when you were right there at the crevice of the miracle that you desired and you were expecting to be healed. You were expecting to get that promotion. You were expecting to meet the dream man of your life or woman of your life. You were in that place, but you got discouraged. And instead of it happening, someone else got the blessing. How many ever had someone else get the blessing? Lord, why you promote them? Come on, I've been here longer. 
This is what's so powerful about this story because we know that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. That anything that's produced by faith, he's the author of. And anything that is manifested by faith, he's the author of it. So he knew exactly what this man needed in order to receive his miracle. That's why he asked the question, do you want to be made well? And his response, you could tell, was a little irritated. Sir, every time I try to get into the water, someone cuts in before me because I'm crippled. I got to drag myself into the water, and these that are not crippled run up and cut in front of me and get into the water, and I miss my miracle. Whew. Listen, I don't know where you're at with your walk, but I know all of us have this problem where we get discouraged and we're so close to our breakthrough, we can taste it. And for whatever reason, someone gets it before you. And now you're back in the back of the line again. And it drives you absolutely, see, that's that tie that I'm talking to that bind you. This man was bound by the disappointments of the past. It restricted him. It threw water on his desire to be healed. It quenched the expectation of having something happen by his faith that day or that moment. It quenched it. It extinguished it. I wonder what Jesus in his mind was really doing. I'll tell you what he was doing. He was lighting a fire under his desire. I said he was lighting a fire under his desires, even to the point the guy would get angry at him. He's lighting a fire under his desire, and I trust tonight the Holy Spirit is lighting a fire under your desire. Maybe your desire has been, water's been thrown on it, and it's just smoldering, and I'm telling you by the authority of God's word that God wants to light a fire under your desire tonight, a fire for that desire that God has called you to do. Because you can't get to a place where you really expect faith to change something if you don't have a fervent, fiery desire for it. You go, I don't really care if I get that much head financially. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. I don't really care if I ever meet the right person. I'm okay. I'm playing my video games at night. You got to have, listen to what the word says, the fervent and righteous prayer of a righteous man avail as much. It didn't say a cold prayer. It didn't say, well, if it'll be, it'll be. No, uh, fervent and righteous, which means you can't be asking for something that is unrighteous. It's got to be something that's good. Something that's good for your family, that's good for your calling, that's good for the purpose in your life. You got to stay fired up for it, and I'll guarantee you it won't take 38 years. God will bring it to pass 
faster because these scriptures are written to us to shorten the days. They're written for us so that we would say, okay, here's what I need to do. I can't allow that past experience. Maybe it was this afternoon. Maybe it was last month. I can't allow that to throw water on my dream. I'm going to stand up and insist, praise God. Lord, I'm, I'm fired up about this. I'm expecting you to do something. I'm expecting my faith to begin things to change in my family, in my life. I'm expected promotion to come from the east and the west. Yes, Am I the only one excited tonight? Sometimes I wonder if, I, if people are alive in the church. You understand where this goes off in my spirit. I, had a, I don't know how people can sit down sometimes. The, the, I'm talking about something that is real and available to every one of us. But we need to take our faith seriously and say, Lord, I believe that my faith will change that situation. And I'm not going to relinquish my desire because some religious person said I'm asking for too much. I'm going to believe. I don't care what people think. They'll think I'm nuts, but I'll be happy as I'm going to the bank with the blessing. I'll be happy as I drive up to my new home that I was believing God for. Say amen, everybody. God desires and wants you to step into that realm. And he is the author and finisher of the faith. And he wants you, and if I let me just be bold about this, I want you to get knocked up tonight. Knocked up spiritually. I want you to get pregnant with a blessing. Pregnant with receiving something. Pregnant with having something grow inside of you that God wants to manifest in your life. You get a pregnant woman, you know what they do? They don't just sit around and say, I'm pregnant. They fix the nursery. They prepare for the coming of that child. They do all kinds of crazy things. They have baby showers and invite husbands to it. <sighs> crazy stuff. They're always doing something. They're always looking. We can do this. This is what I'm going to need for my son or my child. And they're doing that all the way up to the pregnancy. When you get pregnant with a desire, there's going to be action in your life. You're going to go, okay, we need to do this. Yeah, we need to look in this area because this is the, we're the kind of where the house I want to get. And I, yeah, and I, I need to go down to the car lot and look at this car. I know I can't afford it right now, but I'm going to look at it. In fact, I want to take it out for a test drive. I want to smell it, praise God. Amen. <laughs> so let's get pregnant with the scriptures, with the promises of God. Oh, man. Th this works so much. You know, the, the house that I'm living in now, I love my house. And, but I didn't start. I didn't just find a house one day. I was out looking for houses. I was out walking through houses that I could not afford. I was out touching houses I could not afford. I was envisioning that could be mine. We could have this and this and this. And then when I walked in that house that we bought in, 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 for Joyce and I, I knew that was the house. Hallelujah. But my faith had already been working on it. Hallelujah. But when you got a family, you got kids, there's so many things that we need. We need money for their education. We need healing in their bodies. Well, you know, there's so much we need. And, and if we don't use our faith, we're just left to chance. The devil will just bounce you around from this to that. And wherever you're bounced to, that's God's will. And 
God has something so much better. You can knock that down and say, no, I'm going to set the course in my life. Not my circumstances, not the weather, not the climate, not the, the political movement. I tell you what's going to determine my destiny. It's going to be the plan that God has for me in my life. I'm going to get it in my spirit. I'm going to believe God, and I'm going to break through. I'm going to get my ship going. I don't care what the storm's like. I don't care if there's a hurricane. We're heading there, praise God, because we're getting through it in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Amen. And so I want you to evaluate that. What is it in your life now that has happened to you in the past? And I say past could be today, could be a month ago, could be a year ago, could be 10 years ago that has restricted your dream. That you want to do more, but every time you get close to it, you go, uh, I, can't ex I can't handle another disappointment. I just can't handle it. And I see this a lot with couples that, this is no condemnation, but you're on your second marriage. And the first one, you know, you thought you were in love and you, and all that, you're probably in lust, but you got married anyway. And things went from bad to worse, terrible, and, and you ended up divorced. And I'm not trying to say who's at fault or whatever, but it, it was painful, horrible. I see people like that all the time. I mean, it's just, it just ages you, and it just steals your joy in it, and they're hurt. But yet, I encourage them, get back out there. Life's not over. Get back out there. And they do, and they end up meeting somebody. But even then, there's a problem. Because they're still carrying the pain from the first relationship. They have a tie from that pain that is restricting them in the new relationship to be all that God wanted to be. And I see this in... And, and it kind of goes like this, you know, you see this in marriages sometimes with the second marriage or, or third or fourth, whatever it may be, where the husband, he's got his money, she's got her money. She has her friends, he has his friends. And the only reason why it's that way is because of a tie in the past of the pain. I don't trust women. So they never open up. And so the new relationship is in jeopardy. It's in jeopardy. And usually in a case like that, over time, that one will fail too. Because, not because there's something terribly wrong with it, but because what was wrong in the first one is carried over to the second one. And there's a lack of trust when the second husband, he didn't do anything wrong. But he's being treated like the first husband. Because of the pain. Glory to God. You, you got to let it go. I had a wonderful couple in the church, friends of ours. Years ago, we were in the smaller building. And uh, they were on, I believe, their second, it was the second marriage. And great couple. She came to say, Pastor, I have a problem with my husband. What's up? She said, he's dragging baggage from his first relationship into this one. She said, I'm not going to tolerate it. And she got with him, and they dealt with it. And he didn't realize what he was doing, and 
and he cut that tie, and their marriage just flourished. But not everybody does that. They go, I can't help the way you feel. Yes, you can. You got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the ability to cast down those ties, to break those ties. I don't care if you were molested by a, by a football team. You have the power within you, if you're a believer, to break that tie and be victorious. Amen. That's why I'm preaching that tonight, because I want you to flourish. You can't flourish if you're dragging the past. This won't work. And maybe you're not divorced, but you and your wife had some hard times. Everybody has hard times. Maybe a child died prematurely. Maybe there was an auto accident and someone was really hurt. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you were an alcoholic in that relationship and you got it all fixed. But yet there's still these ties in the relationship where the wife is restricted or the husband's restricted because of that pain to develop the relationship to the measure that it needs to go. This, that's why I say it's not limited to something way in the past. It could be something that is relatively not that old, but it restricts you. Hallelujah. Ever met those people that, uh, you know, they're on like their fifth church? And you go, how come you just keep hopping around? Oh, I'll tell you what happened in the last church. That's a tie. And listen, if you're going to find a perfect church, you're to die because there's not one here on this earth. I'm imperfect. Leadership's imperfect. All, you, all we do is the best we can and try to heal who's messed up. Can you say amen? amen? Nobody's perfect. But what I'm saying, though, is that happens, and then the person can't thrive in their faith. They waste their lives because they're shackled by the past pain that they experience in their life. In fact, I was talking to a, a young person about this. You know, it was his first girlfriend. And, you know, your first love, pretty exciting. Anyway, she dumped him. So he was really bummed out. I've had young people ask me this question. What do I do? I said, get back on the horse. What do you mean? Go get back out there. There's more fish in the sea. Just because you had to throw one back doesn't mean there's not more out there. Just keep hunting. Hallelujah. Now, some people object to that, particularly someone who has really, really been hurt. But I always tell people, you know, listen, you don't usually buy the first car that you test drive. You usually test drive several cars before you say, this is the one that I want. The only thing I'll warn you is this. It'll be painful if you look under the hood. You don't understand what I'm talking about. In other words, it's one, it's one thing to date. It's another thing to, to, to have sex. Do I need to make, be clean, clean about the, or Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you in the back. Appreciate that. It will make it harder to break the tie. And it will cause you unnecessary pain that isn't just quickly removed in your life. So test drive all you want. Just don't look under the hood. 
That's good advice. Amen. Now, I'm a terrible example because I was a heathen before I got saved, and I can't say that. Anyway, I don't want to give my personal life, but, but praise God, I'm saved now. I, I, I got to live right. Amen. If I don't, I got to live with myself, and, and being a pastor, if I get off too far, <laughs> bye. You'll get a new pastor pretty quick. Amen? God will not let people in high leadership screw off without getting severe judgment. So I want to live long and prosper. Amen? Hallelujah. But the point is that there are ties in your life created from mistakes, or maybe not a mistake, maybe just something that happened in your life or whatever. It wasn't your fault. It just just happened. See, this is what I learned about comebacks. You can't get a comeback if you can't overcome the discouragement that you experience when you had the setback. So if if I can't overcome the discouragement, I can't get the comeback. And there's so many people in the body of Christ today that are discouraged, 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 discouraged. In fact, some people won't even see God anymore with all their heart because they did before and it didn't work. Oh, I'm going to go to more of a reserved church. Why? Because there's not as much challenge I don't want the challenge. I was disappointed. But wouldn't it be better to overcome discouragement and get the dreams of your life and see the miraculous in your life and see the blessings in your life? Wouldn't it be better to just say that challenges are challenging, but praise God, the comeback is worth it. The fruitfulness is worth it. The change is worth it. Because when you face a storm and you go through it and you won't give up, you come out the other side ready for bigger and better things in your life. Come on, church. It's really powerful. Now, let me uh, give you a verse that will help you in this area. You remember in Mark's uh, chapter uh, the last chapter, which, by the way, they discovered there was one of the oldest manuscripts in the four Gospels. is the last chapter of Mark. And in it, it makes this powerful statement. It says, and these signs shall follow those who believe. It didn't say believers follow signs. It said when you believe, signs follow. Now, here's the bottom line. When you believe in prosperity, it follows you. When you believe in healing, it follows you. When you believe in virtue, it follows you. When you believe in his righteousness, it follows you. You can always tell when someone really doesn't have faith for something because it doesn't follow you. If you're poor all your life, obviously you don't believe in tithing and giving. It's obvious. Don't tell me, oh, I know, I know all about it. Yeah, but knowing it and believing it is two different things. If you believed it, it will follow you. It may take a little while to get to you, but it'll follow you if you begin to practice the principles about sowing and reaping. Amen? And it's not just in church. It's on your job. It's doing your work is on to the Lord. Amen? Amen. It's, it's, it's not... Uh, only working when the boss watches you. It's working when the boss is not watching you because the one you're working for, God, sees everything all the time. Amen? These things work. They don't work some of the time. They work all the time. 
Divine healing works if you believe in it. Glory to God. Believing in what God can do in your family works if you believe in it. But you got to believe in it. And I want to show you what I call fake confessions of faith. Say fake confessions of faith. Now, a fake confession of faith is when someone speaks in faith about something, but it doesn't produce any results in their life. It's a fake confession. To give you a reference in Scripture, Luke chapter 6, verse 45, you can look it up yourself. Jesus said this. He said, don't call me Lord if you don't do what I say. Don't do it. Why? Because he knew that just confessing him as Lord would not save you. There had to be an action that was connected to your confession. That's why in the Bible, uh, confessing Jesus as Lord without repentance will not bring salvation. You have to have repentance. Repentance is changing your mind. And if you change your mind, you're going to change your actions. But if you don't change your actions, then obviously there's no repentance and you can't get saved just by saying Jesus is Lord. You have to have faith that acts on the lordship of Christ. And oh, Glory to God. It's not so much all your actions are what creates the miracle. All they do is turn the power on. The actions may be minimal. But they turn on the power. When I got saved, I didn't change everything in my life instantly because I didn't know what to change. But that day when I walked the aisle, I decided I was going to follow Jesus. And so the, the areas that I knew about, I changed in. And then as I renewed my mind, I changed again. So it wasn't all at once, but it was a little action. I said a little action. I said, a little action. Hallelujah. And that's how the power works. Faith doesn't work just by confessing. You have to have actions from your confession. Hallelujah. Actions. And it's not the amount of actions. Sometimes it's minimal. Sometimes it's a lot. But that's not the, it's just the action is like a light switch. You go into a home and you hit a light switch. Or let's say I'm going on vacation. I say, I want you to watch over my house, come in, take care of it, do some house sitting. And so you come over and I say, here's the thermostat. You got to search to this. Here's what you need to do with my little fish. And so you, you come in, you hit, the, you, you, you hit the switch with the light switch. You, you turn the thermostat to what, what you want. And then everything else begins to work from it. The lights get brighter. The, the whole one gets hotter because the furnace is turned up. It's, it's the action of faith turns on the power. And if you just, you know, if you get big problems, you got to have a, a lot of power. Faith in and itself won't heal anybody. Faith in and itself won't prosper you. But it will turn on the power that does. And when you turn that on, it's radically going to change your life. But you got to turn it on. Think about it in the Bible. I used to always be fascinated in the Old Testament because the prophets would always do something. They wouldn't just speak. They always acted out their prophecies. 
I remember Elisha, he told him to the king, he says, I want you to dig ditches all through the area here. They're in a drought. And he's telling them to dig all these ditches. Now, the ditches didn't produce the water. The ditches turned on the power, and the power produced the water that rescued the armies and gave the men water to drink and gave them the ability to defeat their enemies. But the action turned on the power. Dipping in the Jordan seven times won't get you healed, just get you wet. But when you do it in faith, it turns on the power. That's why the leopard was healed. He did it in faith. Washing the pool of Shalom doesn't give you eyesight if you've never had eyesight. But it was the action of walking there, obeying the Lord, that released it. Think about it for a minute. How in the world could giving 10% to the church of your wages cause you to prosper? It's insane. That action doesn't multiply money, but it releases faith. And then the power multiplies the money. But it isn't the action. It's the turning on of your faith in the action or the power that brings the blessing to pass in your life. Woo, I love this. This is why Jesus was so adamant about lordship. Don't call me Lord unless you do what I say. Don't call me Lord unless you do what I say. Because if you do, you'll be like a house built on the sand. And when the storms come, you'll be swept away. You're going to have to act on what you confess me as Lord in. If I'm Lord of your family and I start to tell you how to run your family, you're going to have to have some actions before my power begins to rule in your marriage. Hallelujah. You know, in the ministry here for years, I've had this happen. A couple of things you, you don't preach a lot in church, and that's about children, because parents get all upset. And the other thing is women submitted to their husbands. Now, the early days, I was a little bit more brash. I get women walk out of the service every time I preach on it. There's a thinning process. But what you got to understand is it's the only way you activate the power of God is to get into your position that God has called you to. And the man, whether he likes to lead or not, get off your butt and lead. Whether you want to be the head or not, do it. And whether you ladies like it or not, you are to help your husband. Amen. There's nothing worse than a two-headed monster. See, see, it already got weird already. And I'm not even teaching on the family here. But you, you got to have something that will activate your faith, whatever. See, confession brings possession when there's an action that results from what you confess. If you confess increase and there's action that follows it, then the power of God's release. If you confess healing and there's some actions that follow it, and the action may simply be changing the way you think, casting down the negative thoughts that come at you. The, there's got to be action for the faith to be released. Amen. Hallelujah. And once you get that down, you can break the ties of the past and bring the blessings that you have. Now, I'm going to show this to you very quickly. Well, I guess I got done. Uh, write this down, Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. 
It is a parable about forgiveness, one of my favorite ones. And in it, Jesus talks, he gives a parable, which is a story that teaches a spiritual principle. He was asked by his apostles, how many times should we forgive? And he gives this parable of a master, a man with much money, much resources. And he had a servant that worked for him, that was a steward for him or whatever. Anyway, the steward or the man that worked for him had, was in debt to him 10,000 talents. In other words, he owed it to him. Now, to us, 10,000 talents is hard to value because our wealth system is different than in the Roman Empire. But to give you an idea what 10,000 talents is worth, if you had one talent, you were considered wealthy in Jesus' time. Just one. This is 10,000. And 10,000 equated during Jesus' day of the average wage a day, it would take 60 million work days to earn 10,000 talents. No one lives that long. So the debt that he had to this guy was so huge, there was no possible way that he, could, that he would ever be able to pay it back. So he tells the king, oh, y'all pay it back, but he couldn't, there's no possible way, and the king's gonna throw him in, but anyway, the king or the master here, which is God, forgives him cancels the whole debt and what's powerful about the story is that think about it for a minute when God forgave you it was a debt so great that even if you lived to be 900 years old you could never pay it off because if you live 900 years older there's more debt because there's more sin so you could never pay it off but yet God forgave you canceled it out in your life well, this guy gets canceled out with that, and then goes out, and there's a guy with 100 denarius that owes him 100 denarius. He flips out, takes the guy, tries to strangle him, whatever, and it says, you got to pay me, got to pay me. I said, give me some time, I'll pay you. And it's only four months worth of labor this guy owed him. Four months. He could have worked it off in six months. Could have worked it probably off in four months. Doubled up, amen? But he wouldn't forgive him. He wouldn't do it. Takes the guy, locks him up in the jail. And King finds out about it. Well, the servants actually squealed on him. And that's what happens in churches, too. Someone gets wronged, and they bring their request before God, and then God knows which, anyway, let me just move on to this thing. The point is, the master heard about it, went to him and says, shouldn't you forgive that guy? I mean, I forgave all you had, and he didn't even borrow. I mean, he didn't owe you that much. But because you do that, I'm going to cancel the, the, the debt cancellation I gave you. And I'm going to put you in prison till you pay the last cent. I don't know exactly what all that means, but it isn't good. But my question, as I read that parable, was this. Why did this guy become like that? Why was he so unforgiving when he was forgiven for so much? Real simple, ties of the past. He'd been shorted by people all of his life. And he was blaming the debt that he had on other people. 
If they wouldn't have they shorted me years ago, if I would have been in the right place, right time, uh, this never would have happened. And because of that, it was impossible for him to forgive somebody. It was all their fault. I always find this to be true. Anybody in the church that has a hard time breaking a tie in the past is a person who has a hurt in the past that they won't let go of. That's why they can't forgive you. They won't let go of it. They got hurt by so-and-so, and now you're right on the list with the rest of them. They can't let it go because they can't let it go until they let go of that hurt. And you can't, if you keep holding on to that hurt, you'll never be able to forgive. Not the way Jesus says. And it'll always be tat for tat. You'll always find yourself gossiping, using your influence to destroy somebody, to downgrade them, to, to undermine them. And you'll be in this, you know, I love watching movies about vengeance, but that's exactly what you'll be involved. It's a vengeance. I'm getting even. The problem is, the person you're doing to, they'll be just fine. You're the one that's going to suffer. Because to him, there's given much, much is required. So that's why I'm saying this message is not optional. You have to break the ties of the past on people that have done wrong to you. You got to break that tie. And if you don't break that tie, it's going to break you. It's going to rob you of your joy and your happiness and, and fulfillment in your life. And it's going to prevent you from success and prevent you from succeeding in your life. It's going to mess up everything. What you got to do is say, I, I have to break this tie in the past that has hurt me. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let me show you the verse that will help you do it. I put it on the screen here. Not that I have already obtained and I've already perf perfected, but I press on to that I may lay hold of it for that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. You know what I love about that verse? You don't have to be perfect. Paul wasn't perfect, but he was still producing great fruit. Do you know God can take someone that just needs a lot of refining and still you can produce great fruit? Anyway, he goes on. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, now, when he talks about the past here, he's talking about those ties that I'm talking about that come from pain, disappointment, sin, regret, all that stuff. That's what he's talking about. He said, one thing I do, forgetting. Say forgetting. How in the world do you forget something that was done to you that was so horrible? They had to go to a psychiatrist just to get sane again and go on medication because it was so bad. How do you forget that? It's really quite simple when you understand. If you understand why your husband forgets things, you'll learn how to forget. He, let me tell you why a husband forgets things. He forgets things many times because he's not listening to you. Don't shout me down. 
And sometimes he's not listening to you because you talk too much. That's a little bit weak, but I mean, come on. Come on, give God praise, somebody. Amen. But the other reason why people, a husband will forget, is that he'll be involved with something else. He's watching the game, maybe he's working in the shop, maybe he's fixing something in the car. His mind's on something else, so you tell him, and because he's working on something else, he forgets what you told him. Now, this is, this is how you forget. You forget the pain of the past by doing something else. But if you're doing things that bring to remembrance the pain of the past, the ties of the past, you'll never break it. In other words, if all you do is talk to Sister Bucketmouth about everything that went wrong in your life, how your husband did this and whatever, then the pain, whatever the pain was, can't be broken because you keep doing things that causes you to remember it. What you have to do is stop doing that and start doing other things like working on your marriage now and making it better or working on your vision or working on your goals or working on what you want with your kids. You put your effort into that. And then over time, you'll forget the details of what happened. They go, oh, do you remember what happened? I said, well, no, it's been so long. Why? You, your mind's been working on another project. That's the only reason why people don't break ties because they do dumb things like this. They write books about it. I'm going to write a book about how my husband was unfaithful. Oh, that's really brilliant. All you do is give the devil more leverage in your life or you find somebody that is a good friend, and good friends sometimes are not good friends because they listen to you. They listen to us whine. They listen to us complain. They listen to us say what's wrong. A good friend will say, shut up. You know better than this. This ain't the way out. This is the way into the pit. But just a friend who doesn't have any sense may let you deposit into them all the garbage that you see. It can't help a person that way. Amen. Aren't we excited here tonight? So, so you got you to gotta work this thing where I'm going to focus in on what I'm reaching for. I'm going to focus in on my goals and my dreams. And, and I'm not going to focus in on my regrets of the past. That's past. I mean, uh, you know, when I went through it, I thought about it, made some change. I'm moving forward. Amen. I'm not going to spend my life re the hurts that I have experienced in my life because I can't move forward that way. You've got to get obsessed with the good, not the bad. Obsessed with the breakthrough. Obsessed with the healing. Obsessed with a new life. Obsessed with a great life. Obsessed with your promises of God. Obsessed with reaching the next level. Obsessed with it. Obsessed with it. Obsessed with it. You can't fight when you're carrying that. You got to get rid of it. So it's a tie that has to be broken. I can remember a lot of the things that happened to me, but the details of it become more vague, more vague, more vague, more vague every month that goes by because I'm not doing the things that quicken the remembrance to it. I'm doing different things. Hallelujah.
Are you excited? Amen. All right, bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Father, tonight we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for helping us, Lord, break ties. These ties of the past that have hindered us and hampered us and kept us from your best. We decide tonight we're going to reach for what lies ahead of us, and that's your blessings. We're going to be absorbed with that, not on the rest, because we want to forget it. Because your word says so. Tonight in this service, if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord and actually acted on it, that's where salvation comes. It's not how much action, it's just that you act on it. And that's why we always have people raise their hands and come forward. It's, a, it's an act of faith, and it's, it's the beginning of a journey, but one everyone has to have. Even the sinner that doesn't know God is bound by unholy ties. He's bound by the restriction. That's why they go from one marriage to the next or go from one level of prosperity to suicide and all that. Because you can't do it without Jesus. Tonight, if you have not made Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and really made the decision, I'm going to change my mind about my life, I'm going to follow the Lord now. I want you to slip your hand up to heaven right now. Let me pray for you. Let me ask one more time. Just lift your hands up to heaven. We're going to pray. We're going to believe. Hallelujah. All right, everybody stand up right now. And I want to pray for all of us here because we're all in this boat because we think everything's going good, and all of a sudden, uh, somebody we really love hurts us. I mean, and the people that hurt you the most are the ones that you love the most. If you didn't care that much about them, they wouldn't hurt you. But when you care about people, it hurts you. And Christianity is all about caring about people. Amen. So I want you to lift your hands up and say, Pastor, I need this. I'm going to break these ties in my life. I'm going to commit to it right now. And the ones that probably going to come, because there's always persecution that follows the church, follows the believer. Heavenly Father, we lift up to you tonight. We release our faith. And Lord, anything, any of these pains of the past that have hindered me from breakthrough in my life that I keep going back to, I, I, I break free from it right now. I decide to let loose of it. I'm going to let loose of it right now. I'm not going to go down that road anymore. I'm going to let loose of it right now. I'm going to let loose of that regret. I'm going to let, let loose. I'm going to let loose. And I give it to you, Lord, and I reach forward to what you've given me. A blessed life. A prosperous life. That's what I see. I see a blessed life, prosperous life. Oh, Jesus, thank you. That's what I see. I see. I see a prosperous life. I see a healthy life. I see my family serving God, worshiping God. That's what I see, Lord. I see it in my imagination where my faith abides. And Lord, I thank you right now. I see it. I see things turning around. I don't see myself alone anymore. I see myself full of people, full of happiness, full of joy. I see my wildest dreams come to pass. Father, I see it. I give you praise for it. And I cut every tie in Jesus' mighty name. Give God praise tonight, everybody. Woo! Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.